Section 17 of Stories and Pictures. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mara Bella. Stories and Pictures by I. L. Peretz. Translated by Helena Franck. Section 17 the dead town when travelling in the provinces after jewish statistics i one day met with a jew dragging himself step by step through the heavy sand he looks ill can hardly walk hardly put one foot before the other i feel sorry for him and take him into my conveyance he gets in gives me a peace be with you and asks me every sort of question. I answer, and end by inquiring, And you, friend, whence are you? From the dead town, he answers, calmly. I thought he was joking. Where is it? I ask. Behind the hills of darkness? <laughs> Where? He smiles. It's just in Poland. In our country? A town like that? There it is, he said. There it is. Although the nations of the world do not know of it and have never given it a Gentile name, it is a genuinely Jewish town. What do you mean? What I say. You know geography, and you think everything is down in it. Not at all. We Jews live without geography. We are not down, and yet they come to us from far and near. What is the good of geography? Every driver knows the way. You don't believe me? He asks. I am silent. And yet it's true. Our rabbi corresponds with all the Gaianim. Footnote men of great learning in the law End footnote in the world questions and answers concerning the most important matters come and go everything is arranged somehow it just depends not long ago for instance an elderly grass widow was released from the marriage tie well of course the main thing is not the grass widow but the dialectics. Footnote. By which the law is made applicable to an elderly woman. End footnote. He goes on. All the Eneklich. Footnote. Grandsons. A celebrated Rebbe would have sons and grandsons among his adherents. The former would remain, the latter would come and go in companies and more or less respectable conveyances. End footnote know of our town they come praise god often and praise god not in vain it is the first time i ever heard of a dead town that's rather strange i suppose you keep yourself rather aloof and yet it is a truly jewish town a real jewish metropolis it has everything a town needs even two or three lunatics 
and it has a reputation for commerce too is anything taken in or out what what do you say asks the jew not quite clear as to my meaning are you speaking of articles of trade i nod my head certainly he answers they take away prayer scarfs and leather belts and bring in corfu esrogim an earth of palestine but that isn't the chief thing the chief thing is the business done in the town itself drink shops lodging homes for travelers old clothes according to custom a poor town what do you mean by rich and poor there is parnosa the very poor go about begging either in the place or in the neighborhood mostly in the place itself whoever holds out a hand is given something others try for some easy work they do broker business or pick up things in the street and earn an honest crust the almighty is faithful the orphans are given free meals by the householders and study in the talmud torah the orphan girls become maidservants cooks or find a living elsewhere widows divorced women and grass widows there have been a lot of grass widows lately sit over charcoal braziers and when the fumes go to their heads they dream that rolls hang on the trees ready baked others live quite decently on what on what what do other people live on a poor man hopes a trader swallows air and the one who digs graves i mean is never out of employment is he joking the dried-up little old jew the bag of bones with the odd gleam in his deeply sunken eyes on his bony face covered with a skin like yellow parchment not the trace of a smile only his voice has something odd about it what sort of a town is it anyway i ask again what do you mean it's a town like any other there's a shul and they say that once there were all sorts of animals painted on the walls beasts and birds out of perak shirah and on the ceiling all sorts of musical instruments such as were played upon by king david on whom be peace i never saw it so but the old men tell of it and nowadays nowadays dust and spider-webs there's only a wooden chain carved out of one piece that hangs from the beam and falls very prettily to one side of the ark to the right of the curtain which was itself the gift of pious women nobody remembers who made the chain but it was an artist there's no doubt such a chain in the shul he continued you see only the common people artisans except tailors who form a congregation apart and butchers and drivers who have hired a place of their own to pray in the shul can hardly read hebrew the well-to-do householders 
sons of the law, assemble in the house of study, a large one, with piles of books. The Hasidim, again, pray in rooms apart. And are there dissensions? Many men, many minds. In the grave, on the other hand, there is peace, one burial ground for all. And the men's bath, the women's bath, are there for all alike. What else have you in your town? What more would you have? There was a refuge for wayfarers, and it was given up. Wayfarers can sleep in the house of study. At night it's empty. And we have a hekdash. A hospital, you mean? Not a hospital at all. Just a hekdash. Two rooms. At one time, they were occupied by the bather. Then it was arranged that the bather should content himself with one room, and that the other should be used for the hekdash. There are not more than three sick women in it altogether. One poor thing, an old woman with paralyzed legs, who lies all of a heap. A second with all her limbs paralyzed, and beside these, a crazy grass widow. Three corners are taken up with beds. In the fourth stands a chimney stove. In the middle, there is a dead house in case of need. You are laughing at me, friend. I break in. That is Tsiachnovka. Tsiachnovka itself, with its commerce and charities and good works. Why do you call it the dead town? Because it is a dead town. I am speaking of a town which, from the day it was built, hung by a hair, and now the hair has snapped, it hangs in the air. It hangs by nothing at all. And because it hangs by nothing, and floats in mid-air, it is a dead town. If you like, I will tell you about it. By all means, most interesting. Meanwhile, night is falling. One half of the sky grows blood-red and fiery. Over there is the sunset. On our other hand, the moon is swimming into view out of a light mist, like the face of a bride peeping out of her white veil. The pale beams, as they spread over the earth, mix with the quivering shadows of the sad, still night. Uncanny! We drive into a wood. The moon rays steal in after us, between the trembling leaves. On the ground, among the fallen leaves and twigs, there dance little circles of light, like silver coins. There is something magical in the illumination, in the low breathing of the wood. I glance at the wayfaring Jew. His appearance has changed. It is melancholy and serious and his expression is so simple and honest. Can it all be true? Ha! <laughs> I will listen to what he has to say. The town hung by a hair from the first, said the narrator, because it was started in a part where no Jewish town was allowed to be. It was not till the first minion was complete that people held a meeting and decided to reckon themselves 
as belonging to a town in the neighborhood. On this pretense they built a bath, a shul, and after that a men's bath, and bought a piece of land for a burial ground. And when all that was finished, they sent people of backstair influence to have it all endorsed. Head downward? Isn't that always the way with us? How should it be otherwise? I don't know. However, that's how it was, and the thing was not so underhand as you suppose. There was a Jew who was very rich, and this rich Jew, as is usually the case, was a little, not to say very much, in with the authorities, and everything was in his name. It was his shul, his bath, his women's bath, even to his burial ground, and nothing was said. As I tell you, he was a person of influence. And when the paper came from high quarters, he was to transcribe it in the name of the community and stop paying sop money to the local police. And then the rich man said, to my account? No, my dear sir, such rich people didn't exist in those days. To my account was a thing unknown. But hear what happened, what things may come to pass. It was not the Gavir, but the envoy who caused the trouble. He made off halfway with the money and the papers, and left the freshly baked community like a grass widow with a family. Did they send another? Not so soon as all that. Before it was known that the first had absconded, or anything about it, the Gavir died, and left, among other things, an heir who was a minor. He couldn't sign a paper till he was twenty-one. So they hurried up? Of course. As soon as he was twenty-one, they meant to send another envoy, and perhaps two. And meanwhile it was entered in the communal records? That's where it is. The records remembered, and the people forgot. Some say the record was burnt, that the trustee took the record, said Havdola over it, set fire to a little brandy, and goodbye. The community, meanwhile, was growing. Jews, praise God, soon multiply. And they come in from other places. One person brings in a son-in-law, another a daughter-in-law. In a word, it grew. And the Gavir's heirs disappeared, as though on purpose. The widow married again, and left. One son after another went to seek his fortune elsewhere to take a look round. The youngest remained. Kohol appointed him a guardian and married him, and gave him an experienced partner. Who led him about by the nose? According to the law of Moses and of Israel. He had trouble with the partner, and more still with the wife, and he signed a forged check and took himself off bankrupt. Townspeople and strangers collected and made a great noise. The case was heard in court. Down came an inspector, no money to be seen anywhere. 
the wife hid the furniture the inspector took possession of the shul and the burial ground the little town was thunderstruck it was a bolt from the blue with a vengeance because you see the whole thing had been kept dark to the last minute and all of a sudden the community was seen hanging as it were by a hair what was to be done they drove to lawyers what could they advise in a case like that the best thing would be to have an auction the inspector would sell the things and the community buy them at any cost the community was no community the papers had been lost by the way they must find another gavir and buy in his name the great thing was not to wait till the gavir should die or go away the advice seemed good kohal was quite used to loss of money but there was not only one gavir there were several and heaps willing to act as diplomatic envoys whose name should they use who should be taken for an envoy all were willing and might be offended so they held a meeting and talked it over and they talked it over till the talk became a dispute and when we have a dispute it isn't settled in a hurry now and again it looks like peace the flame of discord burns low comes a peacemaker and pours oil on it and it blazes up again and blazes on the jew wiped his pale forehead and continued meanwhile something happened something not to be believed only he added with a smile it is night and the creature who walks the sky at night he points at the moon is called truth and at night especially in such a quiet one everything is credible well yes i allow unwillingly the story is a dreadful one the inspector put his foot on the holy ground the corpse is heard and must have grown angry the tombstones move the corpses rise up beneath them you believe me i am no heretic i replied heaven forbid and i believe in the immortality of the soul only only friend only i always thought that only the soul remained the soul that flies into heaven but the body that goes into the grave the image that decays anyhow it cannot move without the soul cannot rise again well said he praises me may i ever hear the like i am glad he said that you are book learned but my friend you have forgotten the world of illusion you say the soul goes to heaven into the sky very well but to which part one part goes into paradise the other into gehenna paradise is for the souls of the righteous gehenna for the souls of the wicked the one for his good deeds receives a share of leviathan of behemoth wine of the ages the other 
for his sins boiling pitch but that only means reward and punishment and why reward and punishment because so long as a man lives he has a free choice if he wishes to do what is good he does it if to do evil he does evil and as he makes his bed huh so he lies but what is the sentence passed when a man was no man when his life was no life and he did nothing neither good nor evil because he could not do anything he had no choice and he slept away his life and lived in a dream what is such a soul entitled to gehenna what for it never so much as killed a fly paradise for what it never dipped a hand in cold water to gain it what does become of such a soul nothing it goes on living in a world of illusion it does not detach itself from the body but just as it dreamt before that it lived on the earth so it dreams now that it lives in the earth no one in our town ever really died because no one ever really lived no one did either good or evil there were no sinners and no righteous only sleepyheads and souls in a world of illusion when such a sleepyhead is laid in the grave it remains a sleepyhead only in another lodging that's all and so dying with us was a perfect comedy because if a feather was put under the nose of a live man would he stir to brush it away not he and the same with a fly they left off troubling about parnosa they simply left off troubling about anything at all so it went on there are many towns like it and when it happens as it has happened with us that a corpse creeps out of its grave it doesn't begin to remember that it has made its last confession of sins and drawn its last breath no sooner have the potsherds fallen from its eyes than it goes straight to the house of study to the bath or else home to supper it remembers nothing about having died i do not know if it is the moon's fault or whether i am not quite myself but i hear believe and even ask did all the corpses rise all who can tell do they keep a register there have been a few heretics who thought it was the final resurrection and lay low but there rose a whole community they rose and fled before the inspector into the nearest wood why into a wood they couldn't go into the town because it was daylight and it is not the thing to appear in winding sheets by daylight they might have frightened the young mothers true and the inspector you ask about a gentile he saw nothing perhaps he was tipsy nothing he did his work 
made his inventory. And sold the things? Nothing. There was as yet no one to buy. And the corpses? Ah, the corpses. He rests for a moment, and then goes on. Hardly had night fallen when the corpses came back into the town. Each one went to his home, stole in at the door, the window, or down the chimney, went hastily to the wardrobe, took out some clothes, dressed himself, yawned, and lay down somewhere to sleep. Next morning, there was a whole town full of corpses. And the living said nothing? They never remarked. They were taken up with the dispute. Their heads were full of it. They were all at sixes and sevens. And really, when you come to think of it, how much difference is there between a dead alive person and a walking corpse in winding sheets? When a son saw his father, he spat out three times, indignant with himself. To think of the dream I had. I dreamt I said Kaddish for my father and inherited him. May such dreams plague my enemies. A widow saw her husband and gave him a hearty slap. He had deceived her, the wretch, made game of her, and she, foolish woman that she was, had made him new winding sheets. And supposing she had married again? How should she have? In the course of the dispute, someone set fire to the shul and to the house of study and to the wedding canopy. Everything, you may say, was burnt. They accused pretty well everybody in turn. And after that? Nothing. The corpses had come to life and the living began to die out, for want of room, for want of air, but specially of hunger. Was there a famine? No more than anywhere else, but there was one for all that. The corpses took their place at the prayer meetings, and at the table at home as well. People didn't know why, but there was suddenly not enough spoons. All ate out of one dish, and there were not enough spoons. Every housemistress knows that she has as many spoons as there are people in the house, so she thinks there has been a robbery. The pious say, witchcraft, but as they came to see the spoons were missing everywhere, and there was not food to go round, then they said, a famine, and they hungered and they are hungering still. And in a short time, the corpses outnumbered the living. Now they are the community and the leaders of the community. They do not beget children and increase naturally. Not that, but when anyone dies, they steal him away off his bed, out of the grave, and there is a fresh corpse going about the town. And what is lacking to them? They have no cares, no fear of death. They eat for the purpose of saying grace. They don't want the food. They have no craving for it, let alone drink and lodging. A hundred corpses can sleep in one room. They don't require air. 
and they have no worries, because whence do worries spring? From knowing. The more knowledge, the more sorrow, but the dead man does not trouble. It's not his affair. He doesn't wish to know, and he needn't know. He wanders in a world of illusion. He keeps away from living concerns. He has no questions, no anxieties, no heartache. No one is conscious of his liver. Who do you think is our rabbi? Once it was a live man and a man of action. Now he too is a corpse. He wanders in a world of illusion and goes on giving decisions by rote as in a dream. Who are his assistants? People like him, half-decayed corpses. And they solve ritual questions for the living and the dead. They know everything and do everything. They say blessings, unite in wedlock. Who is it stands at the platform? A corpse. He has the face of a corpse, the voice of a corpse. If it happens that a cock crows suddenly, he runs away. And the givirim, the almsgivers, the agitators, the providers, the whole lot, what are they? Dead men, long dead and long buried. And you, friend, what are you? I? I am half dead, answers the Jew. He jumps down from the conveyance and disappears among the trees. End section 17